But thanks for the invitation. Okay, I think we are live. Okay. Hello, everybody. This is Roberta Fallon. I'm at the Galleries at More Mixler Radio, TGMR, this morning with Will Owen. Good morning, Will. Good morning, Roberta. Will, Thanks for having me. Oh, my <laughs> pleasure. Thanks for coming over. Will is an artist, and he works primarily with design, interactive media, sound, and food. And since 2014, which is when I met Will first, He's been a Little Berlin member doing some really interesting curate, curatorial uh, gigs there. So he's also an artist in residence at the Flux Factory in Queens, which I hope he'll tell us more about. Mm -hmm. um, so Will, I want to talk about your background because you have sound as something that you produce and food, and I'm wondering where both of those aspects come from. Now, I saw at your website that you did study at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, so let's start there. What, are you a musician, and what did you study at Berklee? Yes, I, I um, studied when I was 17 at Berklee. They have a pre-university uh, program for high schoolers to take classes. So I studied uh, bass. Um, mm. I studied electric bass there, but it was mostly music theory, um, very very heavy in music theory, and then a few songwriting classes, which was really in composition, which was really formative of that time. So were you in a sure. band in high school? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I played music um, since I was 13 in different bands. Very cool. In and was it rock and roll or experimental or noise music? Um, or it was, I played in a bluegrass band oh, um, yeah. very, very, when I was young, um, being from Western North Carolina, that's, um, it's part of the culture. But a lot of the same members in the bluegrass group that I was in, we were also in a punk band, and we would play a lot of double bills, which was really fun to do. <laughs> Bluegrass and punk? Yeah. Double bills? <laughs> yeah. This must have fun. been really great. <laughs> I can't imagine the audience for that, but maybe yeah. if you were in Western North Carolina, yeah, it was, that was the audience. It was great. And there's no venue, really, that we were able to play. So I remember we would clean out our, like my friend's mom's carpet warehouse in exchange for being able to play a show there. We could clean it up. Or uh, an old furniture warehouse space that was below a coffee shop. We were able to clean it out and play a show. So you did trades. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was not so many places that were conducive to having a punk show in, in my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> Which was what? What's the name of your hometown? Uh, Waynesville, North Carolina. Waynesville. It, it sounds very southern. Was it very southern? It is very southern. It's really beautiful. It's in the Smoky Mountains mm. of North Carolina. Mm. Do you uh, go back much? I love to, yeah. And when I go back, I wonder why I left. <laughs> Just because of the sheer beauty of, na of the nature there, but yeah. So were you making art in high school too? I was, yeah. I mean, I, s I took as many art classes as I could in high school. Um, yeah, and I, r I really appreciated my teachers there and the level of freedom they gave us was really important. Cool, and you yeah. grew up in a home that encouraged you in music and art? Or did they fight? Um, it was never, I mean, I think it, in some ways they were extremely supportive, my, my parents. My sister is a professional, um, actually just retired from being a professional contemporary dancer. 
and she worked with a lot of amazing choreographers in New York and Los Angeles, and danced multiple times at the Metropolitan Opera, and had you know a wildly successful career in dance. So I was I'm very privileged in that way to have a sibling who really made it work to be an artist. You know, was and she a freelancer or attached to various companies? She I think she did both. Um, she worked most recently with a choreographer named Doug Verone. Um, based out of New York, who's who's yeah makes really interesting work, and also with Jose Limon, mm, with I've his heard company, of him. yeah, and has worked with yeah numerous people. <laughs> so um, in that way, my parents kind of there was some sort of foundation laid for mm. people working in a creative field, um, but they I mean they still tell me I should become something that makes more money <laughs> every time. Organization <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So well, let's talk about that yeah. then, because you seem to have this nomadic existence. You live between Philadelphia, and, well, you don't live in Philadelphia. You live in Queens, New yeah. York, somewhere in New Currently, York. Currently, I'm I'm mostly based in Queens, but I actually um, was renting. I live kind of half and half. Like I rent um, a room in one of my friends' houses in North Philly as well, often. So I'll I go back and forth. I still have an address in Philly. Like. Okay. I'm here uh, at but least every other week. Yeah. All right. Every other week is a lot, actually. Yeah. But you're doing um, international residencies, like you did one in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. And that, let's, I mean, we're jumping around here, but sure. you seem to, to me to be nomadic, and travel is a big part of your curating mm -hmm. um, interest, let's say. You've done things on Chinatown buses, which we'll mm -hmm. get into later, which <laughs> is just mind-blowing. But then in Copenhagen, you did a project that I'd like you to talk about that involved the subway stops mm -hmm. and sound. So yeah. what was the name of that again? And it was last year, was it, or this year? It was, yeah, summer of 2015 that they did it. And I was really, really um, fortunate and honored to work with two curators in Copenhagen who, in 2015, put together Copenhagen Art Week, um, Matthias Borello and uh, Charlotta Bagger-Brand. Um, and they were, yeah, absolutely fantastic to work with. I had known Matthias through Flux Factory, um, and he had curated me in one of his shows there. And then we became uh, in close contact, working on a number of different things. and. Yeah, so he invited me over to be a participant in Copenhagen Art Week, and my proposal was to have um, a large installation in the Copenhagen metro system because it's un—it's unmanned, it's un—it's undriven. Oh, it's all robots! Right? Yeah. Right. So it's unpersoned, and so the timing between each station is exactly the same almost every time. I spent. Uh, two months riding the subway and timing it and just between station to get the average of how long it was and I spoke with the metro station and our numbers were very similar <laughs> which was really great I should have reached out to them first maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah they could have saved you yeah. some time <laughs> but they're they're a little tricky to get in touch with uh, and stay in touch with so I designed um, audio that would be activated through people's cellular telephones um, if they were smartphones, and I had three different tracks that could be played. Um, so one were 
kind of musique concrète recordings from around each station and each neighborhood. Can you explain what that term means, musique sure. concrète? Yeah, musique concrète. So uh, it's it was it comes out of a, a French heritage of taking recorded or found sounds and then manipulating them in a way that sounds more tonal or musical. Um, and it's something that's deeply influenced me in, uh, since I was like 19, I think. I became very interested in music. So you, you take a little recorder around and record ambient sounds right. and then mash them together? Exactly, so exactly. What did, yeah, what did you get around the station that <laughs> intrigued you? Um, there, there was one particularly rich, um, like, kind of culturally rich uh, neighborhood in in Ama, which is uh, like right next to the sea. Copenhagen is really fascinating because there's so much water around it and it's so clean, so people are able to use it in a way that you're not necessarily able to use the Schuylkill or the Delaware. So people go swimming in the canals and in the, in the ocean right next to the city which is a wild luxury. Wow, <laughs> yeah. Is it off the North Sea, just uh, situated? Or it what, is. Why is it so clean? I would think there's a port with boats. And right. They've done a lot of work, I believe, in the last 30 years to really clean up the canals and, and the sea and not have so much pollution. Like, if, if the canal's in the middle of the city, you can see down and see kelp and, like, animals. And, um, kelp, wow. And yeah, or maybe it's not kelp specifically, but some sort yeah. of seaweed that's growing <laughs> it's amazing and there's jellyfish which huh. are some some of them are friendly some of them what are not. <laughs> no they're not <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the so this one area in ama there were you know the, the ocean was there but there's also these really interesting paths that would go all over the ocean or all over the uh, all over the beaches and there was a sauna that was out in the ocean there was like a boardwalk that was built out in the ocean. And so there's a kind of a growing sauna culture in, in Denmark. And so I spent some time in there getting recordings. This uh, was public sauna and yeah. you would just walk out and go in? You, you would have to pay to go in and everything. And some people had memberships, um, but, but it was amazing because you could jump in the ocean and then climb back up and go into the sauna and then jump in. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> that sounds amazing. And another neighborhood uh, that I found particularly interesting was a neighborhood called uh, Nobro, and it's kind of in the north central part of the city, and it's where there's the most um, immigrants in in Copenhagen. And Copenhagen, for uh, for the large part, I don't necessarily want to generalize fully, but it's it's a fairly homogenous city, and and country as well, and they have fairly stringent immigration laws. Um, and I was fascinated by that coming from Queens I mean personally coming from Waynesville, North Carolina which is predominantly white as well but then moving to Queens and absolutely loving it and feeling um, yeah very at home in Queens and then going to Copenhagen where it is pr a homogenous society I mean not fully but for the most part um, it fascinated me to look at it as an outsider Again, and so there was um, there was an amazing Islamic center there that I, uh, having lived very close to Al Aqsa in North Philly in Kensington, it's a the Islamic center mosque there. Um, I love the Adhan, the call to prayer, and so I was really interested in 
like finding someone who would do the call to prayer and asking if I could record it. Um, they, you mean they actually have a person doing the call to prayer? It's mm -hmm. not a recorded? Not a right, right. Huh. And um, so I recorded that and then processed it and had it, had audio actually in the station. So I had made all these recordings from around this neighborhood, mostly the fountains. I was very interested in, in, in this idea of like, w if you took, um, like, if you took Alhambra or something in Spain that's like very beautiful and peaceful, and you put it in Northern Europe, in a place um, that's very different from the culture um, of Southern Spain, what would that be like? And so I recorded all the fountains in this area, because in my mind, I've never been to Alhambra, but in my mind, that's a very peaceful place. <laughs> and so I tried to like use audio to replicate what I imagined that feels like. And so I had this adhan, this, this call to prayer, and mixed in with all these uh, fountain sounds from the neighborhood, and, um, and then wrote a composition under it. And that played in the station, uh, Neuport station. And, and did you think the audience for this was the, neighbor, the neighbors, the immigrant neighbors that were passing through that station, or were you reaching for a different audience, or what, what was the thought? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, because when I was I had never been to Copenhagen before I went, and I did, tried to do as much research as possible and ask people who had gone as outsiders, or as non-native um, Danes, and and people that were from there who uses the subway. And I didn't realize truly till I got to that the subway is actually fairly expensive, and it's only used it's used a lot for people who live very far away, and kind of wealthy. Um, it's kind of like interesting neo-bedroom communities that are very far out of the city um, or they're used for short commutes within the city. Um, so it's very different from the New York subway or from the Philadelphia, the L. It's, um, so I was a little like nervous that I was making work for like just the wealthy people that could afford to take the subway. So I was a little concerned about that. But then I took it as like, okay, if this is what's going on, um, then I'll at least prod it in a way where it's like exposing to different things in, in these neighborhoods that might not be so obvious um, or might not be part of the exact same homogenous um, you know, culture that, that could be perceived. Yeah. It, was a, it was a really fun project to work on to think about it and it had a lot of different challenges along the way which were fun to problem solve. Yeah, I can't <laughs> imagine. I mean, did you have, it was all done through s cell phones, so right. internet and programming, right. so, <laughs> right, apps and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, it was all streaming, which was important to me, so people didn't have to download anything, mm. or they could just come in, see a poster that was up on the subway. That told them how to told get. told them how to go, and then it was very, uh, I hope it was very intuitive, and and uh, they could just choose which direction they were going, which station they left from, and the audio would start. Uh, they were told to, to start the audio as the, there was like a ding that would play before the doors closed, and I would play that, and then everything would line up the whole way um, until they exited. And I think you've got this SoundCloud mm -hmm. um, on your website, I right? Do. So we'll put the link in the in the post when it goes mm -hmm. up so people can go and listen. And and so you had a time to go on as the trains exited the station mm -hmm. and go off as it 
entered the next station, is that right? Yes, yes, exactly. And then a few stations I had, I had like the wild privilege to be able to design audio for the stations. So mm -hmm. as you pulled in, there would be audio playing in the station that would relate to what was playing on your cell phone. So it was like similar tones, similar themes that were going on. It would relate to each other. It, it was tricky because the, the loops in the station um, were continual. And so uh, it wouldn't match up exactly. And I, I realized that very early on. So I designed it to be more kind of uh, the tone or pace would be very similar when you arrived to the station. These must be very quiet stations. I'm thinking of the subway yeah. stations I know <laughs> in New York and uh, Philadelphia. They, mm -hmm. I can't imagine piping in some music <laughs> that could actually be heard. Right, right. I mean, it is definitely like a difference of like of culture, for sure. It's everything is very, very clean, and all, a lot of the stations um, look very similar. And it is there's actually doors that. Um, pre prevent you from being able to go to the tracks until the train arrives. It's almost like a grocery store, like sliding door that's automatic. So it's it's very quiet. You don't hear the train really at all when it when it arrives. It's and it works like clockwork. Yeah. It's so wow. <laughs> so well organized. <laughs> it's yeah. not SEPTA for you. <laughs> <laughs> but I I mean I took the L here. I love SEPTA. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um. So now let's, since we've talked about that, that sounded like a piece that didn't have a lot of visual, except in your imagination right. component to it. It was a purely audio, audible piece, right? sound piece, whatever. So let's talk about some of the things that had more, um, and that was your personal artwork. You didn't curate that. You were curated right. in or invited in. So let's right. talk about some of the curating that you've done now for Little Berlin. Sure. Um, because that does uh, get into the travel aspect of mm -hmm. things. Um, talk about Pivot, which <coughs> was the name of your show in 2014, was it 2015? Yeah, no 2015? November. Yes. Almost a year ago. Um, yeah, very related to my time in Copenhagen. I, I worked with an artist named Troll Sandgard. Um, and and as well as an artist duo, um, Caitlin Foley and Misha Rabinovich, and Philadelphia-based Nadia Botello. Um, I'm a little sick and I'm about to cough, so I apologize. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and Misha and Caitlin uh, are based in Lowell, Massachusetts. Troll Sandgard is based in Copenhagen, Denmark, and the. That show was was based on uh, two ideas, one being consuming and the other being subsuming. And I was very interested in different layers of how these two things um, interact with people on like a very macro level and a very personal micro level. Um, it came out of having a cancer scare. I had like a mouth cancer scare, <laughs> which was really uh, terrifying. Um, and how this one tiny, tiny like spot on my mouth uh, totally consumed my thoughts. And and how once I got, I was very fortunate and got good news um, that everything's like, it's subsumed back into 
I, I didn't think about it quite so much after that. Your mouth was happy. Yeah, yeah, I was happy, and, and uh, yeah, all the rest of the thoughts kind of took over. And so that idea of, like, one tiny thing absolutely changing everything. And I have a lot of friends who have just gone through um, r very rigorous radiation therapy. You know, I'm, I don't take it lightly that I got positive news. Um, so I was very interested in how people deal with these very intense situations in their life or how they make visible things that might be un invisible um, or very small that's part of their body or part of kind of the world. Um, I can't believe you have multiple people that have experienced radiation therapy recently. Yeah, that's really, it's really terrifying. Wild. Yeah, it is. It is. Is there a common thread here? Is it toxic environment yeah. or? I can't say. I, d I don't really know. But it, yeah, it is, it is t a little... I mean, more than disconcerting, it's a little scary. It's unnerving. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, back to pivot. So right. your mouth was freed up, right. and <laughs> you were freed free. up. And so I, a lot of my curatorial ideas, or like when I first start thinking about the thesis of a show, or like the core of it, comes from something that I can't stop thinking about, or like keeps popping up um, as it relates to me, or like my my like surrounding or my relationship with the world, um, which sounds very general, but <laughs> in this case it was very specific of this specific experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so the show happened in at Little Berlin, where I've been a member since 20, uh, 2014, and, and also at Flux Factory, where I've been an artist in residence also since 2014. And they weren't exactly mirror images of the show, uh, uh, of each other's of the two shows, but they were the same artists making relative work of what they had made in the other galleries. So Nadia Botello, a fantastic uh, artist, mostly working with sound, based in Philadelphia, um, she made this fantastic work that was sonifying tanks of water, and she wrote a score specifically to be played and heard through water, so you would um, press your head against the glass to be able to hear the work. Or another way of hearing it is to put y someone's body up against the glass, then you would listen through their body. Um, and in that was that was the piece in New York, uh, sorry, in Philadelphia, and then the piece in New York was two tanks, so it was almost like two giant headphones that you could put your head between to hear it. And it was beautiful. Um, and it also made visible these um, the water would be shaking due to the sonification. Um, and that was very beautiful, and it would create these kind of moving prisms based on the lighting. I love the idea that you could not only press your own head there, but in the case of the Little Berlin one, you could have a body there mm -hmm. and listen through the body, which is, of course, right. what, 98% water anyway. Right, exactly. So it, it, it worked. Yeah, Nadia's brilliant. Wow. <laughs> very clearly brilliant. So... It was, uh, yeah, a joy to work with her. And Okay, it, then yeah. there was an ancillary part of this show which involves some transit mm -hmm. between New York <laughs> and Philadelphia. So let's segue into that. Sure. Um, so I, because there were two shows, because I was, have been afforded the ability to, to have access to two different gallery spaces, one in New York, one in North Philadelphia, 
I thought it, and because I travel between the two so often on Chinatown based buses, these independent small bus companies that run between Chinatowns and the northeastern seaboard cities, I thought it'd be really fun to also activate with artworks one of the Chinatown buses. So at that time we used Yo Bus, which no, long, no longer exists, um, to travel from New York to Philadelphia and back. So we all started in the gallery at Flux Factory and I gave kind of like a docent tour. And then there were about 20 of us that took the subway, got on the Chinatown bus, and then there were, I think, about 12 projects that happened on the bus. And we had wall text for all of them and put them on the bus. So you just surprised the, the Chinatown bus operator and the passengers <laughs> with this exhibit. <laughs> Indeed, which, which is problematic in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, namely like invasion of privacy, like a lot of people, you never know what people are going through on a bus. They definitely don't want to be interrupted. So all the works that I chose or that we used, decided to use to engage were very, very like gentle and minimal. And maybe you didn't even know they were going on. Like, for example, that we had a projection out of the back of the bus by Maddie Hewitt, who's another Philadelphia-based artist and former Little Berlin member. So while we were on the highway going through, er, and also going through tunnels, there was a projection of one of her works that would be on like the Holland Tunnel wall. <laughs> so you wouldn't necessarily see it unless you were looking back, and it was at the very back of the bus. There was a, there was a, uh, a sound installation in the restroom in the back of the bus. Um, and there was kind of a, a worksheet, kind of like a child's, um, like there was crossword puzzles and a word search and s this sort of thing that we passed Activity around. Book. Activity sheet. Activity yes. book, yeah. Precisely, precisely. So we passed that around very early and kind of explained what was going on. And the like. parents were absolutely thrilled because it gave something f for kids to do. And we played bus bingo and... There was, I mean, in a way, I was kind of like having an after-school program <laughs> on a bus. <laughs> um, but it was, it was very fun. We, I had made a ton of food, a lot of baked potatoes, and served them with either sauerkraut or kimchi, which fermented foods were part of, part of the idea of consumption and subsuming, um, like a bacteria replicating itself so that it takes over um, a certain ferment or something like that. So... We served food. Unfortunately, nobody on that bus trip took <laughs> took us up on any of the food. On the food, <laughs> you had all the baked potatoes. All to the baked potatoes <laughs> to recycle at the end. Exactly. Wow. So, and then that interesting prelude on the Chinatown bus led to another project that involved more Chinatown buses. It, so, it, talk about that. It's true. So, I I've always loved the idea of I, I take the bus a lot, and I've taken it since I was fairly young, traveling around the Northeast. Um, I mentioned that my sister lived in New York and was a contemporary dancer, and I would take the bus up to see her from Tennessee or North Carolina. I'd take the bus at least once a week uh, to either go to Philly, actually every other week to be more more accurate, to come down to Philly and back. And so I... I was bored one day on the bus and wasn't interested in the book I had brought or whatever. And I thought about how fascinating it would be to have 
the bus be almost like proscenium seating for a theater. Everybody is this kind of captive audience and we're all moving and there's a very set time that you're all together. So there's this idea of it being a micro community, but also you're all participating in this event and whether you want to engage other people is on your own, you know, it's up to you. So I thought of what it would be like to actually have a, a, f a show on Chinatown buses going between New York and Boston, New York and Philadelphia, and New York and Baltimore. So this past March 2016, I worked with uh, two other curators who were absolutely incredible to work with. Um, Matthias Borello, who I worked with um, for during Copenhagen Art Week, and Sally Swed, uh, who's uh, from Creative Time, and she puts together the entire Creative Time Summit, which is actually happening this next weekend in D.C. <laughs> Are you participating? I'm not able to. I'll be traveling at that time. Um, but I would absolutely love to. Um, yeah, Sally is incredible. I learned so much working with both of them that uh, I'm, yeah, a different person from just the spreadsheets that we would pass around. Like the amount of logistics that go into working with 30 artists on three different buses. And then in each city, we partnered with different either like activist spaces or art spaces or a combination of the two or community groups because we we're interested in this idea of not only travel and travel is luxury but travel is necessity for leaving someplace that may not be hospitable to you at that time and also thinking about how like gentrification or urban renewal or however you want to frame it um, is pushing out lower income uh, housing for everyone, not not just artists, and um, so we're interested in looking at how other cities are kind of dealing with this as well, with New York prices being absurd at this point. Um, and so, for example, in Philadelphia, we worked with Bree Pickering at Vox Populi. We had some programming there. We also went to um, worked with Nancy Chen, formerly of the Asian Arts Initiative, and uh, Space Ten Twenty Six. And also that was when Pepon Osorio had his um, exhibition at Temple, and he gave us a, a tour of the exhibition, which was f like fabulous and incredible. So when you say we, you're talking about the artists that were on the bus, or everybody, the people a, on the bus. Yeah, the people on the bus were invited to these. Were invited to programs. to everything. Yeah. So did, did some people come, or were they all? Did they all participate because they were invited to participate? I think they all in. It was interesting because we we actually sold, so we had like <coughs> sold a bunch of tickets for people. We had advertised it <coughs> and then sold tickets to come on to this trip. And the price was the exact same for every bus, just kind of make it an even playing field. So to go to Boston was 35, no, 30 bucks. To go to Philly was 30 bucks. To go to Baltimore was 30 bucks round trip which is very inexpensive. <laughs> totally. Um, and it was a way to try to democratize who was able to come on the bus. Although you can take a bus to Philadelphia and back for $8 now, wow. which is very, very inexpensive. Um, so let me just clarify sure. that you worked with the Chinatown bus companies. I did. And yeah. so you were not just hijacking a bus. Right. You had it planned out. Yeah, on, we had okay. it planned out because 
for this trip because it became very complicated. We had artists coming in from France and Israel and Canada and Denmark and California. And so for it to get shut down became very problematic. The idea of having it on a completely open bus, which was kind of heartbreaking to me to have to make that decision because that was the impetus for this idea was to be able to engage an, an unknowing and, pr and perhaps unwilling audience. Um, but maybe that would create, a, you know, someone might remember that for the rest of their lives in a positive way, which would be, which would be great. But it also is problematic to be able to have somebody travel so far, work very, very hard on a project, and then have it be shut down. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a level of, of disappointment that I'm not willing to bear, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's not about that. Right. It was not about getting in trouble with the Chinatown no. bus company or the authorities. No. It was about this, um, well, it was partly if, in, if I can impose my own understanding yes, and yes, interpretation please. here, it was like a poke at the art world mm -hmm. because this was something, you called it a biennial, the mm -hmm. Feng Hua Biennial, right. <laughs> which is a, a wonderful name. <laughs> and it was this ephemeral thing that happened and mm -hmm. then was over. Mm -hmm. uh, got a little bit of documentation, mm -hmm. but it wasn't about selling art. It was not no, no. a biennial. It was not no. an art fair. <laughs> it was not commercial. It was something other, something richer and, and bigger than that. Oh. Thank you. Um, it's true. I think we were very kind of uninterested in in having it be, uh, yeah, like part of the capital A art world in that way, where the idea of biennial can mean so many different things now. I mean, I mean, very traditionally, it means you know this uh, two-year planned exhibition. Um, but it also means like the elite or like the upper crust of certain art world um, society, which feels very ostracizing and very, um, I mean, yeah, I think it just feels quite uninviting. And this idea of the absurdity of it relating to uh, a bus, I really like that idea. And Feng Hua, the name Feng Hua relates to one of the very first Chinatown bus companies uh, that went from New York to Boston, uh, which shut down in the summer of 2015. And um, w in New York, for a, a generation, like my generation, people will say, oh, I'm taking the Feng Hua bus. And it's kind of like Kleenex. It's like a brand that represents an entire um, entity. And so uh, it was, yeah, kind of celebrating this idea of democratized travel between intercities and the northeastern seaboard. And then also, <laughs> this, yeah, definitely a poke at the art world, for sure. <laughs> it seemed to me that it was. So, yeah. <laughs> um, upcoming, you've got, you told me, a storage locker show, which mm -hmm. I think sounds pretty wild. So, <laughs> when is that happening and where? And yeah, that's happening in uh, a year from now, actually, October 2017. And that's also through Flux Factory. Um, in Long Island City, Queens, there's a wild amount of self-storage units uh, and buildings. And 
from the Flux Factory building, you can actually see six of them within, you know, like a three block radius. And, and then on the other side, there's about five more. And so they're, I've heard they're these, uh, these type of placeholder buildings where they can make a set amount of money. They're very inexpensive to build these self-storage buildings. And then eventually they'll get knocked down and build more expensive real estate that, that is more profitable for the, you know, the landowners or the developers. Um, so also thinking about um, how artists and art spaces are being pushed out, which is, you know, a very, if we're being honest, like a privileged group even still, not um, a lot of people get pushed out from gentrification and artists are generally on the bleeding edge of, of being part of it as well, which I'm not blind to. Um, but this idea of spaces um, getting being shut down constantly that are DIY or smaller art spaces. So I'm working with, um, again, two people from Denmark, um, uh, Yulia Bitch and Eric Dukert, they're, uh, who I had a residency with when I was in Copenhagen. They run a space called Beton in uh, an area called Nohauen, Copenhagen. And they're part of a larger artist community in, in this kind of artist compound called PB43. Um, yeah, and sounds like a chemical. I know PB forty three or some sort of peanut butter you might not want <laughs> to eat, <laughs> and and so we're setting it up so that we'll be hosting the self storage units as if it were gallery spaces for these uh, art spaces um, that are currently spaceless, um, and the gallery at Flux Factory will serve as an office space for the organizers of said spaces to try to reorganize and have a place to meet so that they possibly can get a foothold and find a new space. Um, ah, sounds great. <laughs> and then we'll have a, a like a, probably many roundtable discussions. We want it to be completely open and for it to be kind of uh, office hours. Um, and I was we've been thinking a lot, or I've been thinking a lot, especially about how um, cubicles within large corporate office spaces also are reminiscent of some art fairs, like these kind of cubicles. Um, and maybe I just have this big issue with the art world. I don't think I necessarily do, but I just think it's kind of easy fodder to like be able to critique because it so, can be so mainstream-oriented. Um, and, and so I like the idea of our our office space kind of also channeling an idea of an art fair. So it's like these cubicled spaces where everybody can be a little bit separate but can see what each other are doing. Um, so that's that's the idea for that. And the show's called Self Storage. Um, Sounds great. And then just to um, wrap it up here quickly, because <laughs> I don't want to impinge on your throat no, any more than we okay. are. Yeah, Thank good. You for the yeah, Nicola, no, you're doing Roberta. great. <laughs> Um, so Friday, you are leaving for Cardiff, Wales to do an <laughs> art project that is a curatorial project or is it, it a, is. or both? It's, uh, I think it's fairly open. So I was invited to go to Cardiff, Wales. Yeah, I'm super honored to be able to go. Incredibly honored by two, um, two curators 
Louise Hobson and Sam Perry, and I met them both, again, through Flux Factory, which has afforded me so many things. Um, I'm very privileged to have gone there and very honored. Um, I can't say enough about it, really. <laughs> and so I met them through there, and they invited me to do a lot of studio visits in Cardiff, and they've been pointing out <coughs> very publicly in Cardiff that there's not so much like curatorial practices that are outside of gallery spaces or that are more traditional and that there's so much usable space that isn't being used and so they invited me and another curator and graphic designer from Sweden who I've not met yet um, and I'm actually not completely sure how to pronounce her name um, so I, I won't <laughs> and so we're all meeting there next weekend and then I'll they're treating it like a residency, so I'll be there for two weeks, and we'll be brainstorming about what this will turn into. So it's very open, which is a real thrill to be able to kind of co-design maybe what this will be. But it's through the Internet Wales International Art um, Invitation or something. It's the, I, I should know the actual specifics. Um, well, that sounds wonderful. And yeah. the space, the idea of space kind of dovetails with your storage locker mm -hmm. ideas. Right. So flowing right, right along. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much, Will, for talking with me yeah. this morning. And have a safe trip. And uh, we'll see you at Little Berlin sometime <laughs> soon. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. And I must say, Roberta, that I want to thank you for all of your time with the art blog. The, the thread of consistency that you have had through so many different versions of how Philadelphia and all the art spaces DIY to commercial I really feel very thankful and indebted to how attentive you are to everything that's going on so truly thank you thank that's you okay. that was yeah. lovely no, and really. I'm going to quote you on that <laughs> in the future <laughs> you should because it's true <laughs> thank you